My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. You know, seriously, this conversation, this message series we've been on in the book of Galatians, uh, every week we've been talking about this gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's brought up a lot of conversations, a lot of questions. And, you know, some of the conversations are, again, what is the gospel? We use that word. Uh, CJ's in a gospel band. Uh, gospel is a music style. You can, you know, get Grammys in gospel music. Uh, gospel is, is about literature. But what is the gospel? And it just means the good news, this, this proclamation that God has so loved us that he's given us his son, Jesus Christ, who has come, who's lived a perfectly sinless life, who's died for us. He rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the father. And then now we can have peace with God because Jesus has already done all the work. That's the gospel. And, and it's not something, you know, just for the head, it's for the heart, but it's not just that it's also for the hands that we live it out. And the very first week we saw this verse it's a it's a really cool verse it sum up sums up the gospel in verse four of chapter one it's this this is it if you if you want to know what the gospel is maybe this is your first time in church and you know you're what is this gospel thing jesus god's son gave his life for our sins on the cross by the way i don't know if you notice we got crosses over here people go that's kind of weird right i remember a guy years ago Dan, remember the guy in Petaluma in the wheelchair? He was a vet and he, man, he, had, he rode that trike and sorry, memories, mom. Um, and he was just so upset that people were, had crosses cause he wasn't a Christian. He goes, well, that's just ridiculous. You'd hang a cross. It'd be like hanging an electric chair around your neck. I'm like, yeah, well, that's kind of what it was. It was an execution thing and they couldn't get it until he got it. And once he got it, he was just in love. You know what I mean? With this message that Jesus gave his life for us. It's an offensive message. Let me be honest. It's, it's actually really offensive to look at someone and say, do you know that you are so pathetically hopeless that you can't fix your life? I mean, maybe you don't quite say it that way, but I mean, you're lost. You're in sin. You, you know, you, no matter what you can do, you can't do enough. But Jesus did it for you. We don't want that. We want to do it ourselves, you know, but the gospel message is that, that Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God, our father planned. That's, that was the plan all along, right? Here it is in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, not, not to help us, not to make our lives better. The, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. And the good news is even when we're lost and broken, God comes in and saves us. It's not, well, you can make your life better with these three things. We said that weekend that, you know, the picture here is imagine you're out in the ocean and you're, you're drowning. There's just no way to get any help. Land is not in sight and you're there and you're going down and Jesus doesn't come and give us a book on how to swim. 
You know, he, he rescues us. He jumps in the water and he pulls us out and we all need to be rescued. It's a rescue mission. And yet in the process, he gives his life for that. That's the message. And yet the conversations as we talk about them are really exciting because, um, they, they, they help define this. And I, I wanted to say it this way. I think there are two uh, religions in the world. If we use a big word religion, two religions in the world, the first religion would be, I would say Christianity. And it's, is Jesus Christ your savior? That's the question. Is Jesus Christ your savior? Like this word rescue. The other religion or all the rest of the religions could be sum up with this question. You know, is Jesus Christ your example? You know, because if Jesus Christ is your savior, that means you're lost in sin and Christ has to save you from your sin. But again, that's, that's not a pretty picture. If you were to proclaim that, if you were to announce that this week in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, 24 hour fitness, wherever CrossFit, you know, whatever you're doing, that's just not a, a, a polite message. The polite message is Jesus is your example and he could help you be a better person. If you just adopt these three things or you just accept these three things, if you just work on your life a little bit better, but that's, that's really what religion is, is, you know, you could improve your life if you just find the right key, but that's not the gospel message. The message of Christianity is no matter how many keys you search for, it's not going to figure it out. You're not going to get the right key for the lock because it's only Jesus Christ himself. Does Jesus inspire you to be a better person? Or does he save you? And the message of the gospel is, man, he saves us. A lot of people, well, don't be talking about that. Jesus was a good example. He wasn't God in the flesh. He didn't come down to die on a cross. That's horrific. You know, he's just, he just told us to love one another, right? Because as Jesus said, all you need is love. Okay, Jesus didn't say that. The Beatles did. Okay, I'm not sure if you're awake yet, okay? If I quote Depeche Mode, Dan will answer. He'll know exactly who I'm talking about, right, buddy? A little bit of the cure. We'll get there. Okay, um... All right. It's Saturday. I'm in love. Okay. So uh, Jesus didn't say, follow my example. He said, follow me, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Remember, it's not about living a good life to earn good deeds because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. No matter how good your goodness is, it's never going to be good enough. But forgiveness covers everything. Now, we're going to jump back into the text here, and it's in chapter 2. It's really cool. I I love this page 891. We're going to look at verses 11 to 21. We're going to finish chapter 2. And there were never originally chapters or verse markers. We put that in to make it easy. You know, turn your Bible to this word. That would be kind of hard. So Galatians is a book in the New Testament we're looking at for this this semester, this fall, or winter quarter here. And we're digging through it. Chapter 2, Paul's been talking about this story, telling us this story, this argument about, okay, now all these Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. These Greeks are one of the old translations was the barbarians, the people that are uncivilized. You get the Jewish people, then everybody's uncivilized, right? You know, we're the called race of God and then everybody else. And now they're receiving the message. And that just really kind of trips some circuits in people because, well, we're all about following the law and the old Testament and the rules and everything that God laid down through Moses. And yet now they're here and how do they get in? Do they get in the same door we got in or do they go straight to Jesus? And that is the thing. It's Jesus plus nothing, not Jesus plus Moses. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus your rules, your regulations, your good behavior, your good works, whatever it is. It's you can get to Jesus directly. Now, what Paul was showing us in the part of this leading up to it last week is that he went down to 
Jerusalem to meet with the leaders, Peter, James, and John, the, the leaders of the faith, those original, original disciples. And he brought Titus along, who was a Greek, who had come to faith in God, a Gentile, who had come to believe in Jesus. And, and the conversation is about circumcision. He wasn't circumcised, which is a big, big deal for the Jewish people. And, and so it was like the signal about all the rules and all the laws. And they didn't make Titus be circumcised, which was awesome. And they said, you know what? The, the Gentiles can come to faith directly through Jesus. But now we turn a corner and Paul jumps up a little bit and describes an event where Peter came up to where Paul was. So first of all, Paul went down to Peter and Peter went to Paul. I don't know why Peter was robbing Paul or Paul was reading. I don't know where that all came from, but this is a Peter and Paul conversation. Okay. Mary's not even in the picture. Okay. So man, some of you are not, it's like you need more coffee, right? Or maybe I've had too much. Who knows? So Paul and Peter are having this little ongoing thing today. It's really kind of fascinating to see because Paul calls out Peter for not walking according to the gospel. And it's, 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 there's a lot, there's a whole lot we can learn from this. So, um, I want to jump into this. So this is the text starting in verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. And then we kind of finish with the narrative portion to go into some teaching. So, but when Peter came to Antioch, remember, so Paul was up in this area of Antioch where the huge church was, but it was a more of a Gentile church. In fact, what's fascinating is it's where people were first called Christians. The Bible says that's where we first got the name to be followers of Jesus. And when, when Paul left there to go down to Jerusalem, they had the conversation and now Peter came up. We don't know exactly why, maybe to see what was going on, but it says when Peter came to Antioch, now Peter's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. I had to oppose him to his face uh, Paul is not uh, shy for words. Paul is, is not shrinking back at all. Paul's one of those in your face guys. If something's wrong, he'll tell you. All right. So I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, here it is. He ate with the Gentile believers. Now, if you just stop for a second, remember this story of Peter. If you know the story of the book of Acts, Jesus said this in chapter one, verse eight, you will be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses everywhere. You're going to tell everybody about me. It's going to start in Jerusalem, the the capital of the land of Israel, the capital of the Jewish faith, the capital of now the followers of Jesus. You're going to go to Judea, which is the countryside. Then you're going to go to Samaria, which was the hated race. This is a racial issue right now. Okay. And then you go to get to the ends of the ends of the earth for the Gentiles. And for far too many years, they stayed in Jerusalem and then just went to Judea. It took a lot of persecution that pushed them out. And they went to Samaria in Acts 8. Chapter 9, Peter, who's never eaten an unclean thing, has followed all the Jewish laws all his life, all his life, gets this vision from God. It's like well, something's weird, something's, changed, something's going on, some big change is happening. And all of a sudden, God says, hey, somebody's coming and you go with them. He goes up to a Gentile, not just a Gentile, but a Roman, not just a Roman, but a centurion, the leader of the oppressive force of the land. And you're going to go and you're going to hang out in that house totally against the Jewish laws. You're going to eat with that person completely against what everything in his training had taught him to do and to not do. And all of a sudden... A Gentile and his whole family receives Christ. It's mind blowing. So Peter gets it. 
He's the first one that cracked the code on this by his obedience. But now something's wrong. So he eats with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Okay, that's the conversation. But afterward, when some friends of James came, and that basically would mean anybody from Jerusalem came on up. We don't think that James, you know, bought into this, but maybe they claim to be from James. says when they came up, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Now, he was afraid of criticism from these people, the circumcision group, who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Now, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And look at this. Even Barnabas was led astray. It's kind of funny. I uh, read one commentator. He said this. This is kind of fun. He said, you know, Paul is the confronted person. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He came alongside people encouraged. In fact, he came alongside Paul when even the Jews were afraid of Paul and encouraged the Jews to accept Paul. So Barnabas is a huge figure in the New Testament. Went out with Paul, launched churches. Barnabas is the, he's the, the nice guy, the soft guy and yet Paul's the harsh guy and you need both of them but here the soft guy he he kind of loses his way and and all of a sudden he falls into the hypocrisy all right and 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 the commentator was saying you know sometimes in our desire to help people we don't stand up strong and our backbone isn't pretty strong and we end up going down the wrong path so you need both Paul's and Barnabas's, and we need that in in the church, both a strong person and encouraging person to work together, but on their own, you know, we're not going to be complete. And so the picture is, is that here, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, Peter, this great rock that God, you know, Jesus said, on your confession of faith, I'm going to build this church. He falters in a moment because he's afraid of criticism. He's afraid of what other people are saying about him. And, and so Paul has to get in his face and confront him on that. But I want you to look at the next verse. It's so, I, I think this is really cool. There, there's a little thing in here I want to pull out for you. It says, when I saw that they, this group led by Peter, were not following the truth of the gospel message. I said to Peter in private, quiet, one-on-one. No, no, no. In front of all the others. He obviously didn't take uh, you know, a class on dealing with confrontation, right? You know, Because you, you praise in public, you, you, know, you, you, you criticize in private, right? Well, no, he's like, I'm just going for this one. Goes for the jugular. I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws, which is truth, because he's now a follower of Jesus. But in Jerusalem, you know, he, he, they still went to the temple to pray. They had certain things. But he realized God has changed those rules because Jesus have completed all the rules and the regulations. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Now, what I want to point out is this really, really interesting little statement here. It says, when I saw that, and here it is, they were not not following the truth of the gospel message. I looked at several different uh, translations and they all kind of said the same. Uh, the message, interestingly enough, Eugene Peterson had it just like nailed it. But the idea is they were not walking according to the gospel. It's like, well, that's interesting. They were not walking according to the gospel. Not the message itself as far as like pray a prayer and receive Jesus, but the gospel. How you live your life now is a gospel. And it's fascinating because a gospel person, because what it says here, they're not following the truth. It's a, it's a, it's a word that's only used in the Bible one time. It's right here. And it's only used in some other Greek literature a few times, but it's really a cool word. It's almost like Paul grabbed two words and put them together, which is probably what he did. And you're going to, you're going to get 
exactly what the words are about. You're going to get it as soon as I say the words. But in the original language, these are the words put together into one word. He says they were not doing this. It was orthopedeo. That's an interesting word, orthopedeo. Um, ortho. Anybody ever had braces? Raise your hands. Okay. You got them from a orthodontist, right? Uncle Henry, not good idea. Orthodontist, okay. All right. And the orthodontist with the braces did what to your teeth? Straightened your teeth, right? My son Noah, you know, he had some crooked teeth, got braces on. And man, he got those off finally. His teeth are beautiful. Great smile. But, but he needed his teeth straightened. Some of us have had to have braces. And the orthodontist straightens them. So ortho is the idea of straight. Uh, anybody ever have a foot problem? And you go to a podiatrist. It's with the foot. So here's the deal. He says, walking straight. They were not walking straight with the gospel. Now think about that for a few minutes. I like that. That's really cool. Because when you think about the gospel... And again, I'm not just talking about a prayer you pray, but the gospel as a lifestyle that we live. The gospel has a path to walk down. One of the commentaries I read said, the gospel sends out lines that we have to follow. It's like, that's cool. Paul said, these guys, Peter as the leader, they were not walking the straight line of the gospel. And and they needed to be straightened out because they were not walking according to the way of Jesus. They were not, they were walking according to the Old Testament laws, to rules and regulations. Remember, as if all of a sudden more rules would save us. No, they were not walking according to the gospel. In uh, extra biblical literature, it means to live as you ought to live, to live a straight, right life. Okay. And maybe in our culture on the straight and narrow, some of us would say, if you live on the straight and narrow, but the idea is the gospel has a line, has a path. And if you're not living according to that, you're off the line. You're off of the course. Now, again, if you're just looking for a little help from Jesus to improve your life, to get a little bit better with your life, you know, you, you, I can give you tons of good verses and some advice for you to do it. But that's for you to do. And good luck with that in this world. But if you're looking for Jesus to save you, to rescue you, then you will realize the only way to walk according to the gospel is for Jesus to do the walking in you and through you. I heard it years ago. You know, in one sense, the Christian life is impossible to live if you try to live it. But if you let Jesus live it in you and through you, then it is possible as we yield to Jesus and walk his path. But I think about this and and here's an example. I hope it ever happens to you. But let's say you go out and, um, have a few too many drinks, you get drunk, and you decide to drive home, and an officer of the law pulls you over. And I don't know if they still do this. I know they have the breathalyzer and things like that. But um, in, in, you know, in my day and age, they would then ask you to do what? To walk a straight line. And if you walked a straight line, that was a test of your sobriety, that you were sober as a person, that you were, you were focused and serious. But if you didn't walk that straight line, you were back and forth. Like, Man, they're moving the line on me, right? Okay, you're not walking orthopedeo according to the line and now specifically in this context there there was there was two parts of it one was they were going back to rules 
Okay, you can't go back. Don't go back to the line of rules. But the bigger one, when you think about it, because there's a big conflict here in the early church, it's really about racism, too, because you've got this Jew and Gentile struggle that the Gentiles have to act like Jews. Now, if you want to be like us, you have to be like us. And, and so there's a lot of racial strife in the early church because you were combining many races. And so um, I could say it this way. If you become a legalist in your faith and you live according to rules, you're not walking according to the gospel. I could say it this way. If you're a racist, you're not living according to the gospel. Now, I know we all have struggles in areas of our lives, but, but think about this, how, how the gospel is lived out in your life. Are you living according to the gospel and maybe in different areas? If you're married, is your marriage living according to the gospel? Again, I'm not talking about checking a box and praying a prayer to receive Jesus. I'm talking about the fact that God so loved you, that he gave his son for you, that now everything in our life is a reflection and response lived out of that. And so we are changed and our culture, our community has changed, right? Is your marriage living According to the gospel, you walk in straight in that uh, your finances are your finances living according to the gospel. I mean, fill in the blank, your sexuality, you know, where all the areas of our life, your vocation, your education is, is your life lived according to the gospel? Are you walking that line according to the gospel? Because Paul pulled it out. He says, what, go back. When I saw the last slide. When I saw they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I think a really good question for you and for me as followers of Christ, and maybe not everybody is, but I know I am and I know a lot of you are. We're a follower of Christ. Are you following closely according to the line? And is your life not just saying, well, I prayed that prayer, I'm done. But are you living the gospel message in all of the areas of your life? And is it that life that's going according to the gospel? So I, I like that conversation there. And then he goes on to say this. You are, you know, he says this. And, and, and I said, you and I are Jews by birth to Peter, not sinners like the Gentiles. Thank you, by the way. Thanks for calling me that. That's what I am. Okay. Because uh, they received the message of God's salvation came through the Jews. And we are the sinners. We're the barbarians. Okay. Uh, yet we know here it is that a person is made right with God by faith. Uh, some translations use the English word justified to be made right with. And I heard it years ago. I think when I was a kid, justified means just as if I never sinned, you know, just as if I never did that. So are you made right with God? Are you connected to God? Because God has done the work here. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, not by our works of righteousness. We saw the last couple of weeks, not by obedience to rules and regulations, whether you make them up or the church makes them up or you think God made them up or even the ones that God made up. And you have in the Old Testament, you're not made right by following the rules, he says here. He says, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God. Here it is to be justified again because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law for no one will ever be made right with God, justified by obeying the law. Have you ever had your mom yell at you like three times? You know what I mean? I don't know if you caught this. Paul just yelled at us three times. The same thing. Did you see it? Look at this. Look what he says. Look what he says here. He says, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Okay, good. One time he said that. And we have believed in Christ Jesus. So we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus, not because we've obeyed the law. Second time. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Third time. For me, I'm a simple guy. 
But when God says something three times, that kind of means something, right? When my wife says something three times, that kind of means something. And I can say that because she's here in the service, all right? Okay, she can dispute that. But that's, you know, it's like, time for dinner. It's time for dinner. Like, I'm going to ask two. Time for dinner. I better respond, right? Okay. Clean the hands up. Leave the shop. Go in. It's time for dinner, right? Okay. God is speaking through Paul's words. A simple message. My friends, you will never be made right by your human effort. You will never achieve by your own energies all that God offers to you. You are only made right, justified, brought in a right relationship with God, declared holy and blameless in his sight because of what Jesus has done. So stop working for it. That's the, it's like rest in it. Quit striving, as I saw and shared this last week with that Steve, uh, Keith Green song. You know, my son, my son, why are you striving? Why are you trying to make it by your own effort? And it, it's, a, it's a cool thing. In fact, um, one of the struggles, and I, I want to I share a little bit here. Um, I'm going to read a quote. One of the mistakes I think you and I make, we make as followers of Jesus, is we think the Gospels as the A, B, C's of the Christian life. And then we leave those and go on to D and E and F and G and all the way to Z or whatever that means, right? Um, And we go, well, the gospel was like my starting point. It was kindergarten. But, you know, properly understood, the gospel is A to Z. Properly understood, the gospel is kindergarten and first grade and second grade and third grade and and all, all the way to a doctorate, PhD. You know, that's the gospel. Because if we can really get a grasp on the gospel, not as just a transaction, as a we pray to prayer, we're done, but as a actual transformation of our life then we're going to embrace the gospel every day. We're going to, as I said last week, we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we desperately need it. Um, The point of the gospel living out the Christian life isn't to move beyond your need for the gospel. Martin Luther wrote a great commentary on Galatians. And although it's, it's, he's a really tough guy to read, to be honest with you, very difficult, even though it's been translated well. He said this on this verse, Galatians 2.14. He said this, the truth of the gospel It's the principal article of all Christian doctrine. And here it is. Most necessary is this, that we know this article well. We know what the gospel is. We know it well. We teach it to others well, and we beat it into their heads continually. He wasn't a nice guy. You know what I mean? He's like, let's just tell the truth. Like Paul, going to beat it in your head. So, So here's the thing. Here's the question. Do you know the gospel well? Do you teach the gospel well? Do you need to have it beat into your head? Because according to Luther, we get rid of this message so quickly and move on to something else deeper, right? But the gospel is the message. It's the, it's the, it's the A, it's the B, it's, it's all the way to Z. It's the one, two, three, it's everything. The gospel is simply this, that we still need it every day. Otherwise, if we leave the gospel and move on to more and deeper things, the chances are very, very, very real for us and probable for us that we begin to trust in our own righteousness to become a legalist, a Pharisee, right? Like the people that they were leaving. So that's the challenge. Uh, he says this in, but suppose I'm going to read this through quickly and get to the last part, but suppose we seek to be made right with God, to be justified with God through faith in Christ. And then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? No. Again, this is a, this is a Jewish struggle here. And if we don't get it all, that's okay. Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. And if I go to Jesus to be saved, but then I work for it, I'm tearing down what Jesus has done and the old law. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. 
And some of us know exactly what that feels like. We tried to live by rules and it was too harsh. And the punishment, even internally, was condemning. Maybe externally, if you went to that church. you know. But internally, man, we are our own worst critic, right? And it condemns us because we can't live up to the law. I shared my own story about that. That relentless inner critic. That if I try to live by the law, I just destroy myself. I shred myself because I can't live by the law. So I have to live by grace. Because the minute I start living by a checklist, a box, a rule, a, a, a category, I'm a failure. It condemned me. He says, <clears throat> so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. In other words, Peter, quit trying to live to the law. Quit trying to embarrass yourself. Quit trying to be one thing with one group and another thing with another group because you can satisfy somebody else's desire for you to live by the law. Don't be a hypocrite. Just be who you are and don't accept the message that the law is still the way to be saved because it's not. It's the gospel is the only way to be saved. So, How do you live the gospel out every day? Paul wraps up this chapter with these words, and it's the answer. It's, It's right here. This is how we do it. He says, my old self, my old life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So there's a death and there's a life. But Christ lives me. In other words, I have to continually, daily preach this message that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And, it, and it's, it's, it's almost like this, that I was crucified in that moment when he died. You know, when Paul talks about baptism, that we're buried with Christ in baptism, we got to do a, a cool, bapt, uh, not a cool, a freezing baptism today in the Tualatin River and uh, baptize one of my friends. And, you know, it's like this baptism symbolizes death to the old life. And he says, just like, you know, when you're baptized, it's like when Christ died, there's a symbolism going on. And just like this, when Jesus went on the cross, there's a symbolism that that's you died too. you died to the power of the law. That's for sure. Romans talks about, but it's like your sins are dead. Now you don't have to live in them any longer for my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me again. The Christian life is impossible. Don't try to live it. Give it up. You'll defeat yourself. You beat yourself silly trying to follow the rules. But if you let Jesus live it, he'll get it perfectly because he did get it perfectly. And so this is our journey. But Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If anybody could have achieved the rules, we know this. Paul could have. But he goes, I I give up on that. I don't only hope I have is Jesus and I trust in him every day. I die to my old life. I like I died on the cross and now I live to God through Jesus Christ. He loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Man, that is a really powerful thing because think about this. If we receive Christ as our savior, as our Lord, our forgiver, healer of all things, cleanser of every sin, given us a brand new life, all that stuff. And then we turn back and go to rules We are treating the grace of God as worthless. Now, here's an illustration on that. Imagine that um, we're friends and and (laughs) imagine we're friends and um, we're hanging out. We're partying. We're good at college. Everything's great. Awesome. We love each other. Great stuff. Best friends, roommates, whatever. And you go your way. I go my way. And 10, 15 years later, I'm driving and I see you on the street and you're on the corner begging 
and you've lost everything. You lost all your money. You lost your family. You lost your business. You lost your reputation. You're bankrupt. You're penniless. You're destitute. All those things. And you're, you're, you're living in the gutter and you're, you're just making whatever you can get to eat. And, uh, I, I've, I've done really well, you know, on wall street or whatever. And, and so I come up to you and I go, here, I, I got an idea. And I go out and I buy you, you know, million dollar home and I give hundred million dollars in your bank account. And I go to that home and I fill it with all the most expensive furniture you know, everything money can have. And I fill the closet with all the most expensive clothes. I fill the garages with expensive cars. I, I, I you know, every, everything is yours. And I come to you and I go, Hey, this is all yours. I, this is what I, I'm just, I know you're destitute. I know you're bankrupt. I know you're broken. And this is my gift to you. And you have more than you've ever dreamed of ever having. It's beyond comprehension. You could spend a year looking for that home to find rooms and you'd never finish all of it. Right. It's that wealthy. And imagine if you were to turn to me and go, you know, I really want to pay you back here. Here's a subway punch card. I think there's a free six inch sandwich with a drink on there. Would that be okay? Is that, are we good now? It's like, what an insult, right? That to think that a paltry free six inch sub that may not even be six inches, right? Kids might be five and a half. Cause you know, you never know. Somebody measured it once and a little drink would cover all those riches. That's what happens when we treat the gospel message. The grace of God is as meaningless. It's like, wait a minute. You mean you're going to try to live by your own effort now? That's an insult to Jesus dying on the cross because he died on the cross to pay for all our sins. And now you go, okay, why don't you move or I'll help you a little bit. Like, excuse me. So how can we live our lives in such a way that we don't treat the grace of God as meaningless? Because if keeping the law could make us right with God, here's this picture again. He's really hammering this one, made right, right, made right with God. Then there was no need for Christ to die. What he says is, my friends, if you still try to live this on your human effort, if you still try to see Jesus as your great encouragement, the one who's going to improve your life, and you're going to make it, and you're going to tack Jesus on, you're going to put a sticker on, you're going to say a few words. You're going to maybe even pray a prayer and you're going to go to church, but you're still going to live it in your own effort. It's like, how could you take Jesus dying on a cross and reduce it down to something you could have done? If, if that's the case, you don't get it. You're treating the grace of God as meaningless, as empty, as worthless. That'd be a ridiculous thing. In fact, you know what? It'd be an insulting thing. But that's how we act when we treat the grace of God as nothing. So... As followers of Jesus Christ. Are we living according to the line, the path of the gospel? Are we going back to works, going back to our effort? Or we're getting off the line in some area of our lives? Man, Paul, myself, we, we call each of us back. Call me back to living on the line of the gospel. Because there is a path, there is a straight path that God wants us to walk. And when we win, we, we live that, we win this faith in such a new way every day. We discover the joy and the blessings. It's like we win, win the lottery every day because we have the gospel. And we get to just relish the beauty of that. We get to soak ourselves in it. We have the gospel. We have Jesus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm saved. I'm in a right relationship with God. That happened. But I'm living it every day. I'm, I'm reflecting it every day to other people. To be a Christian is to be made right with God, but not because you did any of it at all, because Jesus did all of it. Luther wrote this Christian righteousness 
God imputes or puts into us apart from our own works. In other words, it's a passive righteousness. This is good. All others are active. Think about this. If I tried to fulfill the law myself, I could not trust in what I had accomplished. Neither could it stand up to the judgment of God. So I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce. It's not active, but I receive. It's passive. It happens to me. God the Father freely giving it to us through Jesus Christ. If you're living an active life trying to work the gospel You're trying to do it on your own power, maybe even your own effort. And maybe you don't even know that. Maybe you don't even have it. Jesus is just your great encourager, your great inspiration. But even some of us have followers of Christ fall back into, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to power through this one. I'm going to be active in this one. You miss the whole point of being made right with God. We receive it. We welcome, welcome it. We open our arms to it. And it's all God's active work given freely to us through Jesus Christ. And now we live in that, receiving that. For some of us in this room, I think we'd have to admit, if we were honest, that we haven't received it. We haven't responded to it. Maybe we work for it. Maybe we try to earn it. Maybe all the things that you know we've been seeing in this and the other verses in the last couple of weeks... The truth of the matter is we've not yet been made right with God because we're trying to make it right. Well, you can stop now because you'll never make it right. And you will wear yourself out and you will be defeated and discouraged. You can't make it right. You can't power through this one. You can't be active in it. You have to be passive in it and receive it. This is what Paul says. I love these words in the book of Romans chapter 10. And, and here it is. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The, w- the way we say it here is you receive Jesus as your Lord. He's your boss and your savior, your forgiver. He, he cleanses your life, but he leads your life, right? It's this combination of if you declare that Jesus is Lord, he's, he's your boss. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he saved you on the cross, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Here it is. You're justified. It's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Not powering through it. By believing in your heart that you're made right with God, it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile, the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that easy. You're like, but I want to work for it. It's like, give that up. I want to earn it. You'll never earn it. I want to make up. There's no making up. <laughs> Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you're like, but that's too easy. Yeah, because Jesus already did all the work. Why would you keep working for something that's free? Why would you hand God a, a subway card for a free sub because you got some punches in it? When he's given everything to you freely in Jesus. And I don't know, maybe some of you need to do that tonight. I know a lot of us need to go, okay, am I in line with the gospel? Am I going back to the beauty that even I, as a follower of Christ for so many years, need the gospel? 
I'm almost 40 years as a follower of Christ. I'm only 39. No. Um, 40 years. And I'll tell you, I've never been disgraced. I've never been disappointed in the gospel. I've been disappointed in myself, you know. But I've never been disappointed in my decision to follow Jesus and to receive what he's given me. Never. And you know what? No matter how many years you live on this earth... You keep receiving it. It changes, transforms you. You fall in love with them every day and the gospel overtakes you and you live according to the gospel. Some of us need to do that. But then some of us today in this room tonight, we need to say today's the day I openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead and I will be saved because he's done all the work. Do me a favor. Close your eyes and I'm going to read those words. And I want those of you who have yet to do that to really consider this because, man, God loves you. And he's given you Jesus so you don't have to try to power through this life and try to earn it, try to work for it, try to improve it, try to better it. Man, just give that up. You can't actively fix it, but you can receive it. You can passively, you can be the receiver of it and welcome it in your hands. And it comes with just this. If you believe, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. So my question is, would you right now, your heart and mind, even out loud, openly declare these words, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And would you believe in your heart? That God raised him from the dead. Because he loved you so much. He sent his son to die for you. To do all of the work. The Bible says if you've openly declared and you've received in your heart, you are saved. You are a son. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of this king who loved you so much to put everything in motion for even this moment. And the Bible says that when you receive this message, all of heaven throws a party. And they celebrate this. We celebrate it as a church because you've given up a life of working for it and trying to earn it. And you've welcomed the life of just freely receiving it through Jesus. God, I want to pray for those of us like myself who have been followers for years, decades, maybe even five years. And we've fallen back into work because we've gotten bored with Jesus and we go on to powering through that we would walk according straight in the straight line of the gospel. Correct us if necessary, Lord. Bring us back. Teach us how to live according to the gospel in every day of work and life and school and all these ways, Lord. We've maybe never even considered that the gospel would be lived a straight line in us through all these areas, God. And for some of us, we've prayed. We've said, yes, I openly declare Jesus is my Lord. I've received in my heart that Jesus saved me, that he died on the cross and rose again. I receive that, God. You have welcomed them into your family. God, we love you. And we thank you for doing all this work just because you love us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. (laughs) There's nothing we could have ever done to earn it all. But we'll take it. We'll receive it. In your name, amen.